Our second lesson for this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning to read at verse 1. Listen for the word of God. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. They did not see it coming. Maybe they should have. After all, Jesus had told them, and more than once. But after that all-too-quiet Sabbath on the heels of that horrific Friday, the women do the only thing they know to do, the one thing they are practiced at. They come to the tomb to tend to the dead. Luke does not tell us which spices they bring, but I imagine they are the same spices their mothers and grandmothers have taught them to use, a ritual handed down through the generations. They've prepared the spices, and they're prepared to use them. They have walked this way before, too, of course. Just before sundown on Friday, they followed Joseph of Arimathea as he took Jesus' body to the tomb. They remember the way. They know the steps, where the rocks are, where the road bends. They know the stone-cold quiet of the tomb. It's all, all too familiar at this point. And then they show up, and the body is nowhere to be found. They aren't prepared for this. They have not practiced resurrection before. The men in dazzling clothes, angels as they are later called, tell them to remember Jesus' words. They do know resurrection, the men insist, or the promise of it at least. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee. Like a parent rehearsing lines with her daughter, like friends helping each other memorize the periodic table for a chemistry test. Jesus has been rehearsing this good news with them all along, repeating it over and over and over again. Somehow, they haven't heard it, not really, and maybe they have to hear it again in the light of the empty tomb. Maybe they need the angel's words to break through their grief and help them remember. 
And much like practicing those lines for a play or memorizing those boxes on the periodic table, maybe they have to say the words out loud for it to begin to sink in, to get deep down inside their very souls. Maybe saying it out loud helps them remember. I picture them rehearsing the story again and again as they head back to the others, trying to make sense of the news before they share it with those others. I picture them practicing it down to the last detail, and even when they find the words to tell what they have seen, the disciples do not buy it. The word translated idle tale in our text, as you may know, is used only once, only here in all of Scripture. Nicely put, the G-rated version, it means garbage, a load of hooey, fake news. It is a harshly dismissive word, a hard word. So the eleven utterly discount what the women tell them, and in their defense, the disciples aren't prepared for resurrection either, of course. They have no experience with it. They're not practiced at it either. And yet their response to the women seems a bit over the top, almost hostile. But death and defeat have become so second nature that they leave almost no room for resurrection. Like a language the disciples have never heard spoken, the women's news sounds foreign in their ears. Except for Peter, maybe. He's torn, it seems, but he, more than any of the others perhaps, has reason to remember Only hours before Peter remembered Jesus' words about his coming denials, the cock crowed and Peter remembered Jesus' words and he wept bitterly. Now the women have given him a chance to remember some of Jesus' other words, words that made no sense, no more sense than Jesus' predicting Peter's denials. Until now. Peter could not imagine denying his beloved teacher, nor could he imagine resurrection. Before Friday, he had no experience of either one. It's not something he's ever practiced before, and resurrection takes practice. Or so says the poet Wendell Berry. At the end of one of his beautiful poems, Berry urges us to practice resurrection. But how do we practice resurrection? Is it like practicing medicine or piano? Maybe it's like a child trying to ride a bike. Maybe it's like an amputee whose doctor said she'd never walk again, let alone run the Boston Marathon. Maybe it's like a baby giraffe trying to walk on his wobbly legs. You may remember just over five years ago, over one million people watched as April the giraffe gave birth to a healthy baby boy. Anybody else watch that? In case you missed it or have forgotten, April was on a live-streamed video feed for two months. Cynics wondered if it was its own kind of fake news, an April Fool's joke of sorts. Still, others thought it was inappropriate viewing for some audiences. And yet, there were significant reasons for focusing so much attention on April. More than a simple publicity stunt, April's televised labor drew attention to the fact that giraffes had quietly slipped onto the endangered species list over the previous few decades. So the birth of a healthy calf was a sign of hope for the giraffe family. More than that, it was a sign of hope for the human family, too. 
In a broken and divided world, witnessing the birth of this little one and celebrating his arrival together brought hope in the midst of troubled and troublesome times. Or maybe to practice resurrection is to follow the witness of our siblings in Lahore, Pakistan, in the wake of a bombing on Easter six years ago. On Easter of 2016, I returned to my office and sat down at my computer to tie up a few last loose ends before heading home and saw the news pop up on my screen. A few days later, a friend, Vita Gill, who's executive director of the Presbyterian Education Board in Pakistan, confirmed her experience of the news that after, that after a peaceful and joyful Easter morning, a suicide bomber walked into a nearby park and detonated himself near some children's carnival rides just a short distance from her home. An anonymous caller confirmed that Christians were the target, although most of the victims were Muslim. Like many others, I wanted that to be fake news, but it wasn't. In the wake of this attack and others, it would be understandable if the church in Pakistan gave up, went underground and into hiding, and yet that is not how they practice resurrection. In a letter to friends and supporters, Vita wrote, We strongly believe that there is a day to die. We are not going to die of fear every day. Life goes on with hope, trust, and faith in the Lord. Life goes on. It's not simply a matter of swallowing the pain or the fear. It's not a matter of just getting over it. No one just gets over trauma or terror. Resurrection urges us not to let the trauma or the terror have the final word. Resurrection acknowledges death. There is no resurrection without death, after all. And resurrection moves us forward and back out into the world where God is at work stubbornly and faithfully bringing life. Ground was broken for a new boys' high school in Lahore the following November, just over six months after the blast. To this date, this mission has served well over 6,000 students, both Christian and Muslim. These students have gone on to become servant leaders who practice resurrection in the face of death and fear in a world that is all too well practiced at both. Over the past few weeks, we have walked with Jesus to Jerusalem, to the cross, and then here, to the empty tomb. Each stop along the way has given us a chance to remember who Jesus is and who we are in his name, to practice what he preaches, to practice resurrection. We need to be clear, it's not a matter of practice makes perfect. Instead, we practice in order to remember whose we are. We practice in order to proclaim who he is. Because like the women at the tomb, we too have good news to share. Like them, we're entrusted with good news, the best news. Like them, we are called to go and proclaim the good news we have heard. And you and I know how hungry our world is for good news. Maybe that explains a bit about the fervor over April the giraffe. On that long, holy Saturday five years ago, I found myself holding my breath as she calmly walked around her stall with cameras on her. I wanted to help her push. I wanted the delivery to go well. I didn't realize how badly I wanted, how badly I needed the news to be good. I guess we're all hungry for good news, just as we are hungry for joy. 
And joy, true joy, deep down joy can be hard to come by. But in that same poem, Barry also dares us to be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. These are the facts from that first Easter morning. Rome is still in power. The disciples are in hiding. An innocent man has been executed. And yet, as the women insist and Peter discovers, the tomb is empty. Death has not won. Today's facts are not all that different. Wars rage and threaten to rage around the world. Marriages are struggling. Addiction and mental illness hold too many in their clutches. Communities are on edge. Families are divided. Shouts of hatred, suspicion, and anger have all but silenced voices of kindness, civility, love, and welcome. And the tomb is still empty. The fact remains that this is God's broken world and this is God's beloved world. Death does not have the final word. God does. And in Jesus Christ, God chooses to speak not simply a word, but the word of hope over despair, love over hate, life over death. Some will write us off. Others will say it's a load of hooey. And yet there are others who just might remember a word they heard somewhere once. Some who now hear the slightest kernel of hope in our words that invites them to go and see what we have seen. And maybe we'll find a way to put one wobbly foot in front of the other. As we return from the tomb to practice resurrection together. To walk on amazed and maybe a bit joyful too. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.